man in freezing full of fact. I'm ready. Welcome to the Pem Current, the Pediatric Emergency Medicine Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brad Soboleski, and this is episode three of season one of the toxicology series that Suzanne Mazur and I put together. Suzanne is the medical director of toxicology from Seattle Children's, and in this episode, she talks about acetaminophen ingestions. And for those of you across the ocean, that's paracetamol. As is the case with previous episodes in the series, we are offering MOC Part 2 and CME through Cincinnati Children's. You can check out more details in the show notes and on penblog.com. So without further ado, take it away, Suzanne. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Talks Talks. Today, I will talk about one of the most common ingestions we see in pediatric emergency medicine. And we will start this off with a case. Your patient is a 15-year-old girl who comes into the ED with a few hours of abdominal pain. She's had a couple episodes of non-bilious, non-bloody emesis, and she complains of mild, diffuse abdominal pain. She looks pretty good on exam. Vital signs are within normal limits. Her abdominal exam is benign, but she looks uncomfortable, so you run some tests and give her some IV fluids. Her labs are normal, including normal liver function tests, and a pregnancy test is negative. She feels better after a few liters of normal saline and some antiemetics, and she's discharged home. You're working again 72 hours later when she returns looking ill, and this time you do some labs and she has acute liver failure. On further history, she admits to taking several handfuls of acetaminophen eight hours prior to presentation on visit number one. So let's talk about acetaminophen poisoning today. As you know, acetaminophen is widely used. It's found in many over-the-counter preparations and also in some prescription medications. Acetaminophen is famous for its ability to cause hepatic injury, but with a delayed onset and initially the clinical presentation is usually pretty benign. So it's really important to have a high level of suspicion for anyone with an ingestion of acetaminophen because you cannot count on initial labs or initial exam to help you with diagnosis. When we think about metabolism of acetaminophen, there are several different mechanisms at play. Acetaminophen is metabolized into non-toxic metabolites by sulfation and glucuronidation in the liver. It's also metabolized into a toxic metabolite in the liver by the P450 system. The toxic metabolite is called N-amino-P-benzoquinonamine. Toxicologists like to abbreviate this word to NAPQI for short. And NAPQI is the metabolite that's responsible for the liver injury. NAPQI is made every time acetaminophen is metabolized, but in small amounts, and it's usually scavenged by the body's natural antioxidant called glutathione. In overdose, glutathione is depleted, and NAPQI can build up and cause damage to the liver. So what is a toxic dose, a one-time acute toxic dose of acetaminophen? We usually worry about a dose greater than 150 milligrams per kilo in pediatrics. There is a little caveat to that, and that's if you're younger than age 8. 
When you're young, you're better at sulfation, and sulfation is one of the ways of metabolizing acetaminophen to a non-toxic metabolite. So if you're less than age eight, you can actually tolerate an ingestion of 200 milligrams per kilo or less before having acetaminophen toxicity. So let's say you have a patient who has ingested more than 150 milligrams per kilo of acetaminophen, and you're seeing them 30 minutes after ingestion. What's the first thing you would want to do? If you're thinking about activated charcoal, then I would agree with you. Activated charcoal is a great idea and very useful if you're seeing a patient with a significant acetaminophen ingestion early, usually early means less than an hour after ingestion. Of course, you want to make sure their airway is intact, meaning they're alert and protecting their airway themselves, or the airway is intubated. And most patients with acetaminophen ingestion, if it's ingested alone, are awake and alert in the first hour after ingestion. A dose of activated charcoal is useful because it can absorb the parent compound acetaminophen and decrease the peak level and decrease the production of NAPQI, that toxic metabolite. So if you're seeing them in the first hour, it's a great idea to think about activated charcoal. What about next steps? We want to know the acetaminophen level, which is a blood test. We use a nomogram called the RUMAC Matthew nomogram to help assess risk using the acetaminophen level. That nomogram is useful for single acute ingestions between four and 24 hours post-ingestion. Of course, this is only useful for a single ingestion if the time of ingestion is known. Again, the RUMAC Matthew nomogram is only useful for acute ingestions between 4 and 24 hours post-ingestion. If you have a patient with a chronic ingestion or someone that's been ingesting multiple doses of medication over time, or they present later than 24 hours, you can't use the nomogram and you would base your decision on treatment on the history and serial liver function tests. In general, we have a low threshold for treating acetaminophen toxicity if the history is concerning or there's any concern with the laboratory testing. And of course, this is a good time to involve your poison center and or local toxicologist in those decisions. When we talk about clinical presentation of acetaminophen poisoning, we think about three stages. During the first stage, which is usually Within the first hour up to 24 hours, the patient may be asymptomatic or may have some vomiting. That's why, again, it's really important to have a low threshold for asking about acetaminophen ingestion and checking a level. In the second stage of poisoning, which usually happens around 18 to 24 hours up to 72 hours, there may be vomiting, some right upper quadrant pain, and the beginnings of transaminase elevation. And then in stage three, usually after 72 hours, is when liver dysfunction becomes more significant and can be accompanied by renal failure, coagulopathies, metabolic acidosis, and encephalopathy. So let's go back to our case. Let's say you suspected an ingestion on the first ED visit and you ordered an acetaminophen level at four hours post-ingestion. The level is back, and it's 300 micrograms per milliliter. You get out your trusty RUMAC Matthew nomogram, 
and plot 300 and you see that it is over the treatment line. So now what do we do? This is one of the cool times in toxicology where you actually get to use an antidote. And the antidote here, say it with me, is N-acetylcysteine or NAC for short. N-acetylcysteine acts as a glutathione substitute. So it combines with NAPQI to make a non-toxic byproduct. And we use it as the antidote for acetaminophen toxicity in two different forms. There's an oral or IV preparation. Oral and IV forms are equally effective. The oral form has kind of a rotten egg smell and taste. So remember to use antiemetics and potentially you'll need an NG tube to administer the oral form. There's also an IV form that comes as a bolus dose, a first maintenance dose, and a second maintenance dose in continuous IV infusions. In general, the treatment regimen for the IV form is shorter, so it may decrease the length of the hospital stay and may be easier to administer as well. And this is relatively new, but some poison centers may recommend a higher dose N-acetylcysteine or NAC protocol for patients with massive acetaminophen ingestion. So definitely talk to your friendly neighborhood toxicologist or poison center for all cases of overdose, but especially if you have a massive ingestion, as we may recommend a higher dose of N-acetylcysteine. So how quickly does this antidote need to be started? Well, like many other things in emergency medicine, there is kind of a golden window for this antidote. And for a patient with a single acute ingestion, you have up to eight hours from ingestion to the time you start the antidote. We call this the golden window because the outcome, if you get the N-acetylcysteine started within that eight hour window post-ingestion is really, really good. You can save almost everybody's liver if you're able to get the antidote started within that window. There's no benefit to starting it before eight hours. You don't need to start it within 30 minutes of arrival, but if you can get it started within that eight hour window, you're good. If you have a patient that comes in later than eight hours and you diagnose acetaminophen ingestion or acetaminophen poisoning, go ahead and start the antidote anyway. It still may be effective, but the ideal is within the first eight hour window. And finally, how do you know that your patient is really sick, meaning they may need to be listed for a liver transplant or they may need to be transferred to a center that does liver transplantation? This is when we look at something called the King's College Criteria. King's College Criteria are acidosis, which is usually defined as a pH less than 7.3 despite treatment, or the combination of grade three or four encephalopathy, elevated serum creatinine greater than 3.4 milligrams per deciliter, and prothrombin time greater than 100 seconds. If your patient meets these criteria, you will want to talk to a liver transplant center as soon as possible. So in summary, some key takeaway points about acetaminophen poisoning. First, suspect acetaminophen poisoning. Remember, the initial presentation can be very benign, so ask about ingestion and have a low threshold for checking an acetaminophen level. Once the diagnosis is made, if it's been within the first hour or so and the airway is protected, think about giving some activated charcoal. 
From there, get your four-hour level and get ready to give either IV or PO and acetylcysteine. Get that treatment started within eight hours if you can. And remember the King's College criteria if you're worried about liver failure. Thanks so much for tuning in to Talks Talks. I'll be back next week to talk about salicylate poisoning. Suzanne, thank you very much. That was amazing. As is the case with the previous episodes in the Toxicology series or the entire back catalog of Pemkerns, you can find it on your favorite podcast subscription service. Check out more great educational content on PEMblog.com. Follow me on Twitter at PEMtweets and check out the Facebook page. I would very much appreciate it if you could leave a review or feedback on the blog. Feedback helps tremendously. And again, you can get free CME and MOC Part 2 for listening to this episode through Cincinnati Children's. Details in the show notes and on PEMblog.com. Until next time, this has been Brad Soboleski for PEM Currents, the Pediatric Emergency Medicine Podcast.